The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Hey, Ecclesia. So, uh, so I am a, a mid-80s baby. Like, I imagine many of you, 1984 to be exact, 84, there we go. So this means a lot of things. Uh, the first telephone I learned to use, I had a, a wheel, like a rotary. Like I had to dial it like this, yeah? Took forever. Um, the first crush I had was, was Winnie Cooper from the Wonder Years, obviously. Uh, it means that I actually maintain memories of a pre-internet consciousness, as unfathomable as that may seem uh, now. Maybe later we can debate the best use of $44 billion. Um, it also means that because I'm an early millennial that I share in an experience more closely associated with uh, Gen Xers, perhaps these, these are fluid categories, um, that for a not insignificant chunk of time that my younger brother and I, uh, we would come home from school or, or beyond school break and find ourselves home alone for several hours or, or in the summer all day maybe before our, our, our parents returned home from work. You may have ter- heard the term latchkey kids, right? Uh, no supervision, just the implicit trust that we were generally going to stay out of trouble, that, that it, at, at minimum, we were unlikely to become badly maimed or burn the house down during these brief windows. Um, it was a different time. And, and we had, I would wager, a, a different kind of freedom than, than most kids enjoy today. And that's understandable uh, because the world is different than it once was. It, it seems far more complicated and fraught and threatening in some ways than, than perhaps the one that, that many of us recall. You know, my, my kids are only six and eight, and, and already it seems like rarely is there an afternoon without a structured activity of some kind, and, and parents can relate. It's always, you know, here to there, and certainly not without supervision. And, and my brother and I had that too, with sports and such, uh, but we also had, had countless days, countless days, where we could just hop on our bikes and, and travel several miles down the, the creekside path near our home in central Colorado. No, no cell phones, no way of knowing where we were. Or there were those days that, that for instance, the best idea we had was, was gathering up every blanket and pillow in the house to create a sort of landing zone where we could then jump from atop the second story banister 10, maybe 15 feet down into the living room below. This was pre-Johnny Knoxville. We came up all, with all these ideas all on our own, thank you. Um, now I tell you all this because the simple fact was that we were in no way mature enough at, at eight, nine, 10 for, for anyone to reasonably expect that we'd be perfectly responsible stewards of this kind of, of freedom and trust. And this has me thinking a lot about what happens after Jesus' resurrection. Stay with me. So as we mentioned, uh, Easter is not gone. It's not this one day, it's this season. We continue this season of Eastertide, which continues to unfold in these several weeks leading to, to Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so we've already experienced one kind of, of in-between in the waiting from Good Friday until Easter dawn. And this season is meant to, to situate our reflection in a different kind of in-between a different form of of God's seeming absence. And so last week, Pastor Sean set the scene for the beginning of the book of Acts, and I want us to briefly revisit some of that same text, this this story of those who were unexpectedly entrusted and empowered to carry out this ever-unfolding 
mission of God. And so Acts 1 tells us that, that when they had gathered outside Jerusalem at the Mount of Olives, they asked Jesus, naturally, it is now the time, Lord, the time when you will reestablish your kingdom in our land of Israel. And Jesus responds that the Father, on his own authority, has determined the ages and epochs of history. But you have not been given this knowledge. It's not yours to know. Here's the knowledge you need. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come to you. Earlier, reassuring them that they would not be long in waiting. And he, and he says that, that you will be my witnesses, first here in Jerusalem and then beyond to Judea and Samaria and finally to the farthest places on earth. No follow-up questions crystal clear? Okay, good, because I'm out of here. And he finishes this commission and he, and he begins to rise from the ground before their eyes until the clouds obscured him from their vision. And where, where in the blazes are you going? They've got to be thinking, that, that, that cannot be it. And as they strained to get one last glimpse of him going into heaven, the Lord's emissaries realized two men in white robes were standing among them. And these two men, these presumably angelic uh, hosts, these messengers say, you Galileans, why are you standing here staring up into the sky? This Jesus who is leaving you and ascending to heaven will return in the same way you see him departing. So what are they saying? The answer isn't up there. What are you doing? Standing around, wasting time, get going, get moving. There's work to do. But, but if I'm in the disciples' sandals at this point, my question is something along the lines of, what do you mean? What, what now? We've, we've listened intently to your teaching. We followed you in faith. We've witnessed as you performed countless miracles. We watched you die before our eyes. We grieved and, and you returned to, to us from the dead. This is the most significant moment in the history of, of humanity. This is the time for the, all of these unjust structures to be upended and utterly laid to ruin. And, and now you're just leaving us home alone with, with, with just this this vague promise of an unseen power. Pastor Sean said last week, we, no, we, we had you. And now it's just us. That can't be. You, you, you've seen what happens when I'm left to my own devices. I'm, I'm mere hours away from jumping off of banisters. <laughs> so I, I want us to talk about purpose, how we seek it, how we help one another seek it, how that, that collective sense of purpose becomes embedded, ingrained, instilled in, in the life of a community, because it's what the disciples are asking themselves at this point, just what are we supposed to do as evidence that they're, they're not quite feeling yet uh, empowered and confident in this call. Just after the ascension, they gather a group together uh, to determine Judas's successor among the 12, and they literally cast lots between two candidates. It's like flipping a coin. And, and, you know, good for Matthias. We never hear from Matthias again. <laughs> so that uncertainty, in that uncertainty, it's probably helpful for us to look back to what Jesus himself declares, directs of his followers in, in what we call the, the Great Commission, which closes the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus has appeared to his followers several times following the resurrection. And in Matthew 28, he comes forward to address his beloved disciples. And he says, I am speaking with all the authority of God. 
who has commanded me to give you this commission. Go out and make disciples in all the nations. Ceremonially wash them through baptism in the name of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then disciple them. Form them in the practices and postures that I have taught you and show them how, show them how to follow the commands I have laid down for you. And so there's the what. There's the what. My purpose, your purpose, is to bear witness and to share the good news and to invite others into the family under this new covenant of, of baptism. I'm really excited. We're celebrating baptisms again in just a couple weeks, May 22nd. If this has not been a part of your story and you want to know more about how you can take part, we would love to celebrate with you. Talk to us uh, afterward. But we, we invite others into this family and we form one another in, in teaching and demonstrating and practicing this way of life to, to model what it looks like to live these lives of, of sacrifice and servanthood, of generosity, of loving presence, lives committed to reflecting the words and the actions, the character of Jesus. The, the early church didn't even claim the title Christian. They simply called it the way. This is the way that we are meant, made to live together. And so the more complicated question I think is not the what, it's the how. How then might we live towards this purpose? Because I, I would propose that the answers to that question are essentially limitless. And what I mean by that, I love what Frederick Beekner says about this idea of calling. He tells us that the place that God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meets. In Japanese philosophy, there's, there's a, a word for this idea, and it's called ikigai. And, and this is not a perfect model, I think, but I think it's helpful, that there are these intersecting points of, of what you're good at, right? And then there's what you might be reasonably paid to do. And then there's what the world needs. And there's also what you love doing, what ignites your soul. And so then when you're good at something and, and you can perhaps make a living from that, we, we might call that a profession. And if you can, can be paid for something and it is of some uh, meaningful utility or import to the world, we, we put that in the category of vocation. And if it's of need to the community, to the world, but it arises out of this sense of, of, of love, we call that mission. And when we are able to do something that we love, that we're all so good at, that's where passion thrives. And in where those places intersect, at the convergence, where everything overlaps, uh, this word ikigai, which literally means life's worth, life's value, or what we might call purpose. And that place looks different for everyone. But some of us must ask ourselves, is my, am I feeling uh, connected only to profession and vocation? And maybe I'm, I'm financially comfortable, but I'm wrestling with a sense of, of emptiness. Or maybe I'm thriving in an area of, of passion, but frustrated because it's not paying the bills or allowing me to, to live toward others in generosity like I want to be able to. Or, or maybe I, I have a job and it's just that. It, it's, a, it's a job and I'm grateful to have it but it feels detached from, from a deeper sense of, of significance and, and, and meaning. Or maybe I'm, I'm in school and I'm just starting out, or maybe uh, you know, you've experienced 
layoffs or some other vocational uh, upheaval and are starting over, or maybe it's a season of, of retirement and you're rethinking these categories all over again. And I'm not just thinking, talking about our, our jobs. Our lives straddle all of these various realms of intersection. And, and all of us in our own ways struggle with discovering that sense of balance, that sense of integration. And I think we struggle all the more, most acutely, when we try to do so alone. Which is why, again, Pastor Sean reminded us last week, this is where this Ikigai model is really missing and flawed in my mind. It's missing this critical category is that we need one another. We need community for guidance, for support, and and sometimes rebuke and challenge, forgiveness, prayer, people to whom we grant access, people that we seek out in times of discernment and uncertainty. Paul in Romans reminds us that that for in the same way that that one body has so many different parts, each with different functions, we too, the many, are, are different parts that form one body in the anointed one. Each one of us is joined with one another and we become together what we could not be alone. So there's a a show I've become fascinated by. Um, It's on Netflix, it's called Old Enough. Watch this. It's a reality show, incidentally also from Japan. Apparently it's been on for a couple decades. Um, With a very simple premise that that toddlers are sent by their parents um, into their towns on independent errands. And the cameras proceed to follow them uh, and track their progress and the inevitable obstacles they they face and the wrong turns they make along the way. So this is Miro. She is on her way to deliver uh, an apron to her father who runs a a noodle shop. He's the proprietor. And and things go adorably awry. It's wonderful. I love this. It's also probably deeply anxiety producing uh, for a Western audience of mostly like helicopter parents, like aghast at this uh, this idea. Uh, But I love this show for two primary reasons. First, you know, simply because of the way that these kids so uh, adorably and confidently launch themselves into these tasks while inevitably uh, feeling so overwhelmed and, and in over their heads uh, by, by what they're being asked to do. But, but second, and this is most importantly, they're never really alone. It becomes clear really early on that, uh, that these bystanders, the others, occupying these, these mostly small communities whom we see uh, observing, know these kids. They don't interfere, but they're always watching and they're always rooting them on. And what if that could be what it looks like at any age to take on something that, that seems at first to be beyond your, your, your abilities, your capacities, but, but you, you're perhaps to struggle perhaps to fail, but to, but to persevere, knowing that you're a part of a loving community who will pick you up when you fall and encourage you to keep going. The church of all places should be the place that it is most safe to risk, most safe to struggle, most safe to fail, and, and I grieve along with all those for whom that has not been so. But what if it could be? What if, Ecclesia, we could be such a community where everyone has an opportunity to discover a sense of purpose 
as a part of a loving, supportive family in, in ways that, that just may then point them toward a, a, a clearer sense of purpose in the world as carriers of this new power that Jesus speaks of. What if? And so now the turn to complicate things because there's a paradox here. The, the, the paradox is that we rarely, if ever, discover that sense of purpose by staring at the mirror, by looking solely inward. But instead, we discover that purpose by living outward, by living toward and living for others, by decentering ourselves in the story. One of my favorite teachers, Barbara Brown Taylor, she says it this way, that as often as I think that I'm seeking other people out in order to get something for myself, the deeper truth is that I'm hoping they will draw me out of myself. And so the church is the place that has been created in some parts so that we, we might practice this call to participation, that we rehearse the ministry of reconciliation and renewal, trusting that in the doing, in the doing, that God is shaping and forming us into who we are becoming in those respective journeys toward the unique purposes that God envisions for each of us. And our hope is that, that these rhythms are being built in every stage of life, from an early age, every stage of life. And I wanna share with you briefly, uh, this is like a two minute video, what this has looked like recently in the life of one family in our community. I'm Danielle Mansour, and we have gone to Ecclesia for 10 years. I have a husband who's been married 20 years, and we have three kids, 15-year-old um, Cole, and 14-year-old Cade, and 12-year-old Brooke. And we have tried to authentically connect in the church, wherever that we are in that stage of our family. My kids love to eat, so anything with food and generosity just fit our family's dynamic really well. And we showed up and we saw familiar parking attendants and we saw Lakeith. And then we saw that we could totally, my kids could help set up the tables. They love to be busy. And so that was something we could totally jump in and get involved with. Um, and then of course the food is always a draw for sure. And we've made friendships. Like we look forward to going in there and seeing our friends that we've, we've shared a meal with and hearing their stories because everyone has a story. Um, my favorite part about Simple Feast, um, I like handing out the name tags. I get to learn everybody's names and I get to know um, their stories and stuff like that. And it's just really fun to connect with people. Um, my favorite part about Simple Feast is greeting them and seeing the smiles as we get to have lunch with them. Well, I mean, the food is really great. That's just the benefit of uh, coming and serving with our friends. Just have a meal and, and just like enjoy a conversation with them. And so I just want my kids to really um, take those opportunities to, to lean in and to listen and to provide something that's easy for them to provide that someone else might need. They'll look back and that will be part of who they are and what they did growing up. And I think that hopefully that will move on from generation to generation. I love the Mansers. Um, I love what Brooke said. I get to learn everyone's names. It's more than handing out a name tag, it's, it's, I get to bestow a sense of dignity and connection, relationship 
in this moment, right? And it's been such a gift, as it is with all of these, these kids in this community to watch Cole and Kate and, and, and Brooke grow up over the, over the course of, of a decade. It's wild. And I hope that what it's stirring for you is that we all have a part in this thing. That the church is intended to be a microcosm of what we believe strongly that the world should look like. And if that's the case, it means that how we show up here, how we exist in this particular sphere of our lives is probably more reflective than we even realize of how we're already showing up in these other intersecting spheres in our lives. And so we ask, am I observing? Am I consuming? Am I, am I participating, right? So a question to consider. In, in this season that reminds us that Jesus literally empowers his people to become this mutually reliant community, this mutually reliant body. How will you commit or, or, or recommit yourselves anew to this kind of authentic community, one which, which guides and challenges one another, in which we care for one another, encourage one another, carry one another's burdens? The word hospitality comes from uh, the word Greek, uh, phyloxenia. Philo is one of the, the four Greek words for love, this loving friendship. And xenia, the word for stranger. It's where we get xenophobia, the fear of the other. But we love the stranger, first of all, because God does. And we love the stranger because we know what it is to have been one ourselves. And we love the stranger because when we do, they cease to be one. And barriers fall and love grows, community grows. And so what does that look like for, for you? That may be with the Mansours and, and other incredible servants at Simple Feast. You can talk to Manny and Hannah right after the service. This happens every week at one o'clock. Our family spaces always need, uh, need help to provide care and hospitality for the youngest among us. And you can talk to, to Amy and Noelle and, uh, and Kim about how you can take part in that. And, and, and I'll be honest, we're, we're finally feeling mostly back, mostly back from the pandemic and, and really want to get a lot of folks active in these gatherings again and, and co-creating this time that we get to build together as this offering of, of worship, and we need your help to do that. And so for one, certain, one gathering, maybe two gatherings a month, maybe 10 or 15 times total over the course of a calendar year, could you help host? Help us prepare the space. Invite newcomers in as if it were your own living room. Invite others into places to serve. And, and I promise you it's good for the, the staff that we can be more fully present with you all. It's good for the, the community to be led from within. It's frankly good for, for you to, to be pulled out of your comfort zones, if I'm being honest. And if you're interested in knowing more uh, about that, uh, Keith and I are going to host a gathering in a couple weeks around the service times. You can email me, mike at ecclesiahouston.org. Subject line, just say, I'm in. Give me your name. I don't even, don't even like fill out anything in the body. It's all good. I'm asking two steps. Mike at ecclesiahouston.org. I'm in. And we will tell you more about what that looks like and how we begin to build uh, that team and, and really co-create this, this space uh, each week. And I'm really excited to do that with you all. I'm going to be really bummed out if I have like three 
come like Wednesday morning. But there's any number of ways you can be involved, in, and, and your faithfulness may pull you, as Mitzi said, to the, the Poland and Ukraine border in ways that you did not anticipate. Or maybe you're new to this community and you're looking around and you're saying, like, I don't know about any of this, but I'm intrigued. I'd like to know more. Uh, we're hosting our open door dinner again in two weeks on the 15th, and this is a, a, a terrific opportunity. If you're new to the community, you want to hear more about our story, who we believe we're called to be, God is calling us to be, uh, and, and to hear more about your story, to connect you with, uh, with ways to meet others in community, to, to connect with ways to serve, please uh, plan ahead to do that in two weeks, five o'clock on May 15th. Plugs over. <laughs> Promise. So ask yourself, how can you take part, right? But then the second really important part of that, who, to whom can you extend encouragement along their path, like all of these elderly Japanese villagers? Who, who are you cheering on? Because the, the fact of the matter is, is that in all of us is that lost and confused two-year-old child utterly turned around and wondering if we're anywhere close to our destination. Every one of you knows what it feels like to have someone called out your, your talents, your strengths, your passions in ways that you may not have realized previously. Those who have encouraged you and, and, and held uh, that faith on your behalf when you felt uh, utterly <laughs> inept and unable, literally brought you courage to encourage you. And when we do that, when we are one body, when we are a true and authentic family and one member grows in strength and grows in this calling toward a specific purpose and grows to, to thrive and flourish, we rejoice. We get to celebrate together. We all win because we've watched that story play out. We've seen every step that God has crafted along the way. So my son, Miles, uh, has been on uh, the soccer team uh, for the past two seasons. And y'all, it is not going well. <laughs> it's, it's been really rough. Um, let's just say that the, the, the nuances of field geometry and killer instinct confuse to elude this particular group of eight-year-olds uh, to a degree that I, I just cannot um, fathom. So uh, as of yesterday, uh, scored one yesterday, uh, got a total of about five goals, I think, give or take. Um, their opponents, all told, are somewhere verging into the triple digits. That's how, that's the disparity we're talking about here. Um, but I'm so proud of these kids. I am so proud of these boys. Because they continue to encourage one another, to lift one another up. They haven't gotten down. They haven't been blaming one another. And a couple weeks ago, when Miles finally, at long last, shot the gap and scored his first goal, you would have thought that they had won the championship. Because <laughs> they all just crowded around and rejoiced together in this, this big scrum. It wasn't just his goal. It belonged to the team because they are living this story together. And so the culture, our culture, wants to tell you that your purpose is achievement. 
That is not true. That is a lie. Your purpose is not achievement. Your purpose is not accomplishment or what you can do in this world. Your purpose is connection and cultivating community. Because when we rely on one another, when we seek the good of one another, we are never alone. And actually, I didn't finish the Great Commission before because prior to ascending up and beyond the sky, Jesus commands us into community. Go and make disciples and baptize and grow and strengthen one another in faith. But he closes with this crucial reminder, and I will be with you day after day to the end of the age. And so our purpose ultimately is to live in connection with God and with one another as it has been since creation. And so may that be the case for you. May this be home, a space in which you are never alone. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.